Hi listeners and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaforis, and on today's episode, we're talking about support coordination, what it takes to be a support coordinator, and how to run an effective support coordination business. I couldn't think of anyone better than Jess Stubbins, founder and director of Ablewing, to help us to dive deep into this topic. She set up a support coordination business when the NDIs first started, and she's got a real passion for independent support coordination. Hi Jess, welcome to the show. Hey George, thank you very much for having me. So tell me, what's Ablewing? What's AbleLink? So AbleLink is um, an NDIS registered provider of support coordination. Um, we are an independent provider in that we we only provide support coordination um, across Victoria. And how long have you been running this, and why why did you decide to start? Uh, business doing support coordination. Yeah, gosh. I mean, so how long have we been running? Uh, we're going into our, our third year of running. Um, and how it all came about was I had been working in, in a bit of uh, the readiness space in the rollout in NEMA in Victoria. And I really saw this this great need for independent support coordinators and could see that the the role of a support coordinator was going to be so integral to um, success of the, the scheme. And so it all came about. I decided I would sort of go out on my own um, as a sole trader and do a bit of pre-planning and, and help people get ready for the NDIS in, in with the vision to to then, you know, develop into the support coordination space. And so if I think about the vision of um, running a business as such, um, at the beginning it was very much um, I was a one-man show and, and had thought a little bit about um, working with a few people. But now uh, running AbleLink, it's it's far more. I talk about it. Yes, it's a business, but we we now run an organisation. Really, uh, we are uh, twenty one, a team of twenty one, and three of those people are admin based roles. Um, and really, the the way that the organisation has has sort of organically evolved has really been driven by um, being quite a sort of a flat organization in that um, we don't have a lot of, uh, I guess, levels within within AbleLink and, and everyone's really, the, the, the culture of, of the organization has been sort of at the, the front of everything we've done um, to try and, you know, really harness as much energy as we can from people into their support coordination role and, and not get caught up in um, any unnecessary day-to-day um, activities that, that aren't really focused on valuing the sort of diversity of our team as well as trying to sort of shape what we feel our best best support coordination is. That's, so, I mean, just listening to that, I'm thinking you've gone from not having a business to having this like business where you employ 21 people and that's that's pretty exciting 
It is exciting. It it it's been and I think oh my god, I've done this. This is pretty awesome. Regularly. I think there's there's moments of wow, uh, we've done this and also moments of like, holy moly, what have we done? <laughs> and I think that's quite key in um in that we have chosen to employ um a, a number of of staff and and they are sort of permanent employees. So I think it's it's an amazing thing to reflect on um, the sort of name that has been built around AbleLink um, based on the the incredible team that that have worked really hard over the last three years. Um, but then also the yeah the the realization that that it's it's a very real thing. You know we. Um, as business owners, um, we are responsible to ensure that people are, you know, maintain a, a secure role and, and are supported in a way that um, ensures that they can, you know, maintain resilience in, in quite a complex role as well. So, yeah, it's, it's the balance of, wow, look what we've done, as well as, whoo, it's big. The last, <laughs> the last, uh, you know, being in position now where you've kind of, you know, set yourself up financially as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, um, as I'd mentioned in, in terms of being quite lean, we're feeling really quite lucky in terms of how we had chosen to structure the logistically structure AbleLink from the beginning. So we we set up as a, a remote team and everyone was set up to work from home. And now in the in the sort of current landscape of of the dreaded coronavirus and the the way that uh, teams and workplaces are needing to adapt. Um, we we feel quite lucky that we we already had structures in place for people to work remotely. Um, but I think that was also a a decision that we did not. We wanted to keep our overheads really really low, um, and have managed to do so um, to a large extent. Um, but finance. The overhead slow because there's not a there's not a huge margin when you when you look at the the, the unit price for support coordination it's what is about ninety five dollars an hour yeah, ninety eight oh six in its uh that's kind of I mean it's it's not it's not nothing but it's not like what you know, occupational therapists are working with or, yeah, know, they're $200 an hour. How do you run a business on, on that, on that, um, on that unit price? Yeah, you know, it's a bit, it's a big question. And you, you asked, you know, are we financially stable now? And I would say absolutely we are. Um, anyone thinking about getting into running a support coordination business, you're not necessarily, you're not jumping in it to make, to make a lot of money by any means. Um, I think it's really, really important to sort of keep in mind, although an, an organization can be quite lean, um, there are still some some ongoing running costs and that 9806, um, that figure sounds quite, quite a bit. You know, if you consider um, sort of a, a general hourly rate for a support coordinator to be paid is, is you know, can range between 32 to $40 on average. That's a, that's a pretty big chunk that you're, you're keeping it every hour. Um, but really, when, when you start to run the numbers on somebody working, um, say, in a full-time role and, and what that actually means to 
be capturing their time as well as the the costs that go along with that. And we've we've focused quite hard on being quite transparent with our team because I can imagine if if I was a support coordinator and I'm working in a full time role, um, I can I can do the numbers. You know, if 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 I need to work at a, an eighty percent efficiency, which which is pretty standard across the board for support coordination businesses, you know, eighty percent means hitting. 30 hours of billable within a full-time week um, and that's pretty much what what a lot of people have um, decided is that is the balance to being viable um, but if I'm a support coordinator and I'm adding up my 30 hours at 9806 and my wage isn't really matching that I'm probably gonna have a few questions but I think that's where we've tried to be quite transparent in in helping the, the team to understand all of the, the running costs that go along with, you know, some management of an organisation, the systems that are required in order to be efficient at the role, um, the equipment that's required, then there's work cover, there's portable long service leave, there's super. You know, I think when you start to, to put all of those numbers into place, it it is a business that is can be sustainable by all means and and you can pay people in a in a way that really you know values the work that they do but to be rolling in it from support coordination no not so much <laughs> uh, I, I think that that, that point that you made is uh one that I, I i really agree with that you need to be transparent with your staff in terms of making it clear that, yes, you might be paid maybe 50% less of the hourly rate, but these are all the things that you get for that for that, for that difference, I guess. That's right. Um, and being open and honest, people are like, okay, I'll do it. Or, hey, if they don't like it, they can go off and, and set themselves up, you know, separately if that's what they want to do. That's right. And I think, you know, that that's the big consideration for people who would be thinking about starting a business that as a potentially a sole trader, you know, there, there is certainly um, you've got less opportunity to scale, but then your your running costs will be significantly less if, if you're going to be a, a one man band as well. So, you know, your, your margins um, could be greater. Um, yeah. yeah, I can see that. I, I want to understand, like, the, the typical day of a support coordinator. I mean, I, I imagine um, it's kind of all where there is no typical day because yeah. you're based on what the person needs. But, but just maybe, is it possible to talk me through what a day might look like? Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and I mean, as you said, there there is no typical day. But I mean, a day may entail um, meeting with people out and about um, to, you know, have, have a catch up and look at, at what's, I mean, if, if you're setting up someone's um, plan when you first engage with them to understand exactly what it what an NDIS plan means to them. I think that's a really key thing to begin with when you're, you're sort of building the foundations is, you know, your NDIS goals are pretty general, but can we feel certain that as a support coordinator, we actually understand what those goals mean to somebody in the real world? Um, and so, you know, your day might be spent meeting with people in person, it could. There's a lot of time spent on helping people to budget their funds and and make sure that, you know, the the services that they're connecting with um, that are NDIS funded can be accounted for. Um, one thing that we're seeing 
now as we move into that people who have got their second and their third plans is you're no longer um, necessarily meeting with someone in person or or over video meeting to um, to help people to feel calm about what's happening and the changes but we really are now focusing on what are the what are the skills that people are wanting to build in terms of managing their own supports or, you know, the, the nice creative stuff. And I think um, that sort of work is now happening with, for support coordinators now that we've moved through that, that sort of really rocky transition phase for a lot of people. Um, another thing another thing that's really key, I think, to, to note for a support coordinator is your day might be spent doing quite a bit of reading. And it's. I think it's really important to note within this role is that things are obviously ever changing in the in the NDIS space. But also, I think a key responsibility to being a support coordinator is knowing that you you have a, a responsibility to have an incredibly deep understanding of the NDIS, a, a, a far above and beyond what um, a participant or their supports may be expected to to have. And and you you sort of play that consultancy role. Um, so yeah, that the reading and, and trying to sort of digest and interpret um, changes um, is a really key part of a, a day as well. Yeah, and that's I, I like that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one thing that I like about being in policy is that you get to learn every day. Um, when you know sometimes in other jobs it's like just come in and do the job, but it's like no, no, no. Um, in roles like support coordination, you need to constantly upskill yourself. Yeah. Notice that this is an upskill, um, and and that's something that, that that can be really enjoyable and and um, fulfilling. Absolutely, and I think you know the if I think of the the people on our team, the real NDIS nerds are the ones that sort of they thoroughly enjoy challenging, you know, an interpretation of some legislation, um, and yeah, that is enriching to them. Um, and again, yeah, you know, they, they kind of dead with section 34 of the NDIS Act. That's right. Our team works quite a bit in the SDA space, understanding the SDA legislation and yep. <laughs> and I think, you know, that it's really empowering to a support coordinator as well. We've we've worked in a um with with not a lot of clarity around framework as to what support coordination is and isn't Um, and my personal opinion on that is there's there's some greatness that has come from that because especially within our team we've been able to shape some of the the tools and and approaches that we use because it has not been super prescriptive from the agency as to what support coordination is and isn't Um, and we constantly dance the dance between being a what is a support coordinator and what is a, a case manager and an advocate and and knowing that it's quite a delicate dance across some of the functions of, of an advocate and a case manager and how how that does sort of, you know, spill a little bit into the support coordination role. But I think when a support coordinator is able to really take the reins on information and interpret those changes, it's incredibly empowering to know that you've, you're in a role that can help to disperse that information and, and then we're moving into that, you know, capacity building, helping people to think in a different way about utilising supports or connecting with community. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's very important that... 
that you use all those skills. Yeah. And when you when you're interviewing someone for a role as a support coordinator, what do you look for? Yeah, what do we look for? So I think it is key that someone is able to communicate um, in a in a calm manner and someone who I've I've always within our interviews thrown sort of total curveball questions to see how somebody may respond to that and if they can respond with a bit of humor brilliant um, but so flexible thinkers as well so someone who is able to communicate well they're flexible in their thinking um, a big plus for anyone who does come along and is an NDIS nerd um, and another, I guess another key area that we would um, try to, to gauge during recruitment would be someone's ability to really understand the, the importance of boundaries within a role like this. Um, I know there's a number of interviews that, that we've had with, with people who are all incredibly well-meaning, but, you know, um, their need to, to help people um, come through really, really strongly um, as opposed to, to work alongside somebody. So I think it's really key when gauging somebody's maturity and, and approach to such a role is their ability to be able to define what, what that boundaries, those boundaries look like because another very, very important part of being a support coordinator is the ability to have some resilience in the role and those two things sort of go go hand in hand I, I like that and I also think that you, that that raises the important point around that you're there not to do you know you said to to support a person not to do everything for them yeah but it's also around building their capacity to hopefully not need you at some point that they but, you know, they've gotten to a point where they've learned what they need to know. They've got the skills that they, that they that need to implement their plan. And that through having the, the coaching, like the support, that coaching support of a support coordinator, they can then do things more themselves. Because ultimately that's the aim, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And and I think, you know, we're working with such a diverse range of people and, and their support networks um, that that capacity building work needs to, you know, looks looks so different across uh, many people that we're working with. And I think the, the point that we're moving now past transition is really key. Um, as support coordinators and, and our networks across the country have sort of understand a little understood a little bit more about how we can be assisting people with capacity building we're feeling more comfortable with that but also think the majority of people that we've been working with are far more willing to to work on building capacity um, that is now not as scary as it may have been in their first or the second plan um, I think it's and, and, and obviously building that confidence in people takes time. Um, one of the key things I think is really important is, is being able to lead by example. And it comes back to that dance of, oh, no, I'm a support coordinator. I don't do that. Um, and that dance of being delicate around, you know, case managing and 
and support coordination. And I think if you're able to identify early on for somebody what it actually means to be in control of their supports, that, I mean, that's that's quite integral into creating an action plan as to how you will help someone over the life of a plan. But then being able to to know how far to, to push someone's involvement as well as knowing how not to set up dependencies on yourself. Um, and I think being able to lead by example, I mean, a really simple example would be support coordinators don't do rostering. But if it means that a support coordinator helps to um, really intensely work with someone to, to look at what a roster could be and then there's the involvement in helping people to understand what a roster costs um, and, you know, the ins and outs of different organisational positions and policy and shift times and cancellations, um, it may mean that you, for the first sort of, you know, six months potentially, you're quite heavily involved in that rostering because you've then invested the time into helping people to feel comfortable to do it themselves as opposed to, you know, really being quite arm's length with that role and it taking a much longer time for somebody. So I think without babbling too much, I think it's 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 quite obvious that it's a very individual approach to what capacity building means for a particular person but again we, we're being able to do a lot more of that now that services are settling and, and people are far more set up with um, with their plans moving into their second and third plan and it might be not I mean that's really you know, important for people to understand that it might not the do's and don'ts are complicated right yeah um it might not be that you're doing it, but you might be teaching someone how to do it. And in doing that, you do it. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And, you know, I think something that we're getting better at within our team now is is helping people to develop resources. So whether that resource may be um, they've, you know, now tried out five different providers and they've they've found a provider that they like for now for their say their personal supports in the home. Um, every time that we've gone through the process of connecting with new supports, they've had to retell components of their story in their life. Um, whether it be, you know, manual handling instructions or particular intricacies that of the way someone likes to run their home. Um, being able to get together those type of individual resources for people is just so, so important because then they feel potentially empowered to then, when you're no longer around, to engage with a new provider and go, well, this, these are my rules, you know. Um, but it's just the simple act of being able to capture those things um, which sounds quite simple, but, you know, it's, it's quite a challenging thing to do and it takes time to build rapport and understand somebody in order to help them to capture that type of information. Yes, that's absolutely true. And when you talk about um, capacity, I mean, you've said that it's very different for, for different people, but I'd imagine that sometimes it's about the family as well. It's not necessarily just a person with a disability. Is that right? 
That's absolutely right. And, you know, I would say you know, it's a good 50% of the people that we're working with that it is. You know, they're certainly at the centre of the work we're doing, but but the interactions that you're having are a majority with, with their supports around them and their families. Um, and that can be a big old challenge too sometimes, you know, trying to challenge the the way that things have always been done within a household um, where we don't want to be the expert on what should or should not be done, but we can see that um, things potentially could be done a different way to really enhance somebody's life and, and challenge the norm. Um, so that that's, a, again, it's those that delicate balance between boundaries but also pushing the boundaries. I think you need a lot of um, emotional intelligence when working with families. You need to know how far you can, um, you can push your your thoughts and opinions. Yes. And at the same time, be respectful of family, family values and, and the history that, that families That's have. right. That's right. And, and, you know, and then that's where it takes, doesn't necessarily take just one plan with support coordination <laughs> to build that type of relationship and rapport where families trust you. You know, you may be the 40th person that's come into their lives and ask them to do a particular task or, you know, suggested that we do things a particular way. And it takes, you know, for, for people who have had service systems in their lives for many, many years, um, there's, there's walls that you need to slowly chip away at um, for very good reasons. And, and, yeah, I mean, the support coordinator works across systems. So you might be, you know, implementing someone's NDIS plan but that also means that you need to interact with health or and the criminal justice or different types of systems, mm. education um, and, and that sort of thing, employment. I don't know. How do you work across systems and not get overwhelmed? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, it's a great challenge because we've got a role to work with, with funded support systems as well as connect people with with other, you know, and, and ensure that things can run as smoothly as they possibly can. But I think where there are a number of systems that do not work cohesively together, um, it can be a really, really frustrating component of our work. Just recently we've been working across um, – health and the justice system with a particular person. And it has been so um, challenging from a support coordinator's perspective to try and get people to to talk to ensure that this person is um, well supported. But it, it seems as though quite often when we're dealing with a number of support systems, you're having really siloed discussions. Um, and that's where, you know, if, if a support coordinator is skilled enough to facilitate care team type functions around somebody, you're going to see the best outcomes. But I think there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that needs to go into that work. And again, you know, someone may have never had a support coordinator, may have never had anything to do with the justice system. So understanding things like how a court functions or what court orders mean, you know, may be a really big part of, of just enhancing your, your understanding of those support systems. Because, I mean, we can't, we can certainly try and harness experts within our team. And I think that's something that we've, we've tried to do within our organization is, you know, there are some people that understand the aged care system really well. And we've got some guys that 
um, come from from justice systems. So trying to harness some specialties within your team is is a really key um, sort of way to not need everybody to be an expert in everything because you can't possibly be an expert in everything. We want to know that if we had particular challenges like health system challenges or justice system challenges, that there are support coordinators out there that, that have a level of specialisation mm. or different knowledge in those areas. I think that's very useful. Yeah, and and I mean, I think there's there's no secret. Um, DSC have done it really well. They've they've for the, over the last three years have really encouraged people working within the NDI, the sorry, the support coordination space to think about what that specialty is within um, your service or your organisation. Um, so being able to really hone in on um, a particular area of um, specialties is key to, I think, being um, a support coordinator that continues to flourish, you know, as as transition has occurred and, and we move into, you know, the next five years. Um, if you have a particular specialty, um, you're, you know, you're, you're well positioned to continue to capture referrals, I suppose. Absolutely. I want to just um, end with a few bits of advice for people. So um, I want you to sit back on, you know, what you've been doing this for maybe five years now. How, what have you learned? What are some of the, 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 the main key things that you've learned that you wish that you knew from day one? Yeah, wow. So I think um, I, by nature, am a bit of a people pleaser. <laughs> and so personally for me, being able to really um, have had I developed an ability to not create dependencies on myself early on, um, it's really, really challenging to do. Um, there are, you know, I think the majority of people that are in this space as support coordinators, that is by nature, um, we're healthy helpers. Um, but knowing that creating dependencies early on um, then makes putting boundaries in place very, very challenging. Um, what else? The importance of um, documenting information early and so something that we have done is we've we focused a lot on putting systems in place that mean that we're not repeating a lot of information um, and how that sort of developed over the last few years had, if, if anyone is thinking about setting up a business, how the information that they're, they're capturing can be, you know, repeated, um, whether it's your, your notes or your reporting um, is, is yeah, really... Yeah, because it can be a repetitive role, like, yeah. um, you know, having, you know, if you do a, a review of a plan, um, uh, if you're going into it, you know, you want to have a template ready to fill in rather than do it from scratch every time. That's right. And, I mean, so something we do now is when once we've set someone... Um, 
up in our system, we, we're able to then throughout the year when we're speaking and meeting with people, we're able to continually note progress or barriers and outcomes on particular goals so that at the end of the year, um, when we're developing our end of year plan review report, we're not starting from scratch. You know, it's that all of those tiny little things that have happened throughout the year that we haven't now forgotten because it's been captured. Um, Very important. What about yeah. the whole um, daunting aspect of the audits? Have you learned anything about audits and how to deal with auditing? Yeah, man. Well, like, you know, audits were so scary when we, we went through our first audit. It was like, oh, my goodness, we've got people coming to just spy through all of our information. But really, they were just on board to to help us consider some things that we hadn't. Um, and there was very much that opportunity to talk through with the auditor why we were or weren't doing things. And then we had the opportunity to put them in place. Um, so audits aren't scary. That's been a big learning. Um, audits might be expensive, but they're not scary. Um, and I think we've, we've got our audit under quality and safeguards coming up in the next two months. And for us, again, it's a really good opportunity to make sure that files are clean and we're up to scratch with, you know, things that we, we like to set a certain AbleLink standard and, you know, um, having the opportunity to to do an internal audit prior to somebody coming is, is really valuable. And what do you think is the future of support coordination? Do you think that it's something that you know, will eventually dry up. It sounds like you don't think that. No, I don't think that. Um, I do know, like, I'm, I'm quite certain that with, you know, once we've moved completely through rollout, that the the numbers of support uh, people getting support coordination will will decrease most certainly because there are so many people that just needed a hand to transition in, understand the the fundamentals of the NDIS, and then they are good to go. Um, they may then throughout their life have a big change, whether it be moving or, you know, whatever it may be within a different life stage, they may then re-engage support coordination. Um, but there will always be the the group of people with incredibly complex needs that will need support coordination ongoing. There will always be people entering the scheme. Um, and I, I do believe that there the you know what was intended for the LAC function to to help with implementation couldn't can work really well but support coordination for a group of people that that really require more of a complex um, support will, will need to be funded through support coordination so I I do believe that um, support coordination will be ongoing the, nu the numbers will be less but um, I do I think it, it will always there'll always be a need for it in in some type of form whether or not we need to then evolve the way that we we do work um, which which would be great um, yeah just it's been a really useful discussion anything else you'd like to say no I, th I think that's it you know I think um, running a running a business, um, and running an organization in a space that is so incredibly new and evolving um, is really exciting. And I've always said to our team, you know, we'll look back look back in history and go, we were a bloody great part of that um, and, and can feel really, really confident that we have um, 
sort of put a lot of time and, and effort and energy and, and real passion into kind of being an integral part of, of scheme success. So anyone who's, who's really thinking about getting into this space and um, thinking about potentially starting up a little business, I would say go for it. Don't, it's not, it's not going to be all roses, but um, go for it. I think it's, it's a really empowering um, opportunity to, to do something with, with some real meat. Do your homework. Do your homework. Find out what needs to know um, and talk to others about what they've done. Yeah, talking um, with others. A lot, of, a lot of Facebook groups out there that, that have some really helpful information that, that you can um, ask questions and, and share. It's and you know, George, over the last few years, those those networks nationally have have strengthened so much in in our space, and and those Facebook groups are are really really um, useful to connect with people, especially if you're not working with a team. So, well, nice. George, thank you, thank you, thank you for having a chat. And I um, I wish you well, Jaylene. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.